you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Easter Tide. Over the last 50 days, we've been following the movements of the resurrected Jesus. We reflected in joy, remembering how we were buried with Christ in his death and how we together have been raised to new life in him. We reflected on how we are to live as disciples of this risen Jesus Christ, that we are indeed his resurrected people. And in joy together, we are witnesses of Jesus and the world. The love that we have for one another is what allows the world to know that we belong to Jesus. The way in which we look after and care for one another is proof that the spirit of God lives in us. We together are invited to belong to God's new world, and that has been unveiled in the embodiment of Jesus Christ. And as we conclude this journey of Easter tide, let us read together 1 John 5, 9 through 13, which is our passage tonight. Verse 9 says, Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In this passage, it's interesting to me that throughout the passages in 1 John that we've gone over together, the writer and the elder repeats himself or herself over and over and over again that our faith in the work of Jesus is a result of hearing this testimony. And hearing the testimony is an invitation to participate in the story. Throughout the rest of our time together, I would invite you to ask yourself these questions. What testimony am I listening to? What testimony do I embody? What testimony am I participating in? Because when you keep showing up, And when you keep hearing the testimony embodied in the community that you participate in, this is eternal life. For the ways in which Jesus lived, live forever. And the ways in which Jesus moved, live forever. The ways in which Jesus loved, lives forever. And when we participate in his life, we also live forever forever, for that is eternal life. Willie James Jennings, an African-American theologian, cultural, known for his contributions on liberation theologies, cultural identities, and theological anthropology. He is currently an associate professor of systematic theology and Africana studies at Yale University, and he penned these words in his commentary on our passage today. He says, our God joins the condition of the creature, Like human testimony, the divine testimony may be compared or contrasted. 
Like human testimony, the divine testimony may be judged true or false. Like human testimony, the divine testimony may be accepted or rejected. In all cases, God does not hold back. God does not refuse to speak or to use. God will simply say again and again and again and again and again and again that my testimony is greater. He says to us tonight, remember my testimony. Remember the testimony that I proclaimed through Jesus. Remember Jesus. Thomas Smith in his book, Successful Advertising. So if you didn't know, before I started doing this full time, I was in marketing for two years, so I couldn't help but bring this story into play. But Thomas Smith in his book, Successful Advertising, makes the following reflections on effective frequency. He says, the first time people look at an ad, they don't see it. The second time, they don't notice it. The third time, they are aware that it's there. The fourth time, they have a fleeting sense that they've seen it before. The fifth time, they actually read the ad. The sixth time, they thumb their nose at it, which simply means they don't like or care about it. The seventh time, they get a little irritated with it. Some of you can identify with that. The eighth time, they think, well, that's a confounded ad. Here we go again with that. The ninth time, they wonder if they're missing out on something. The tenth time, they ask their friends or neighbors if they've tried it. The eleventh time, they wonder how the company is paying for all these ads. The twelfth time, they start to think that it must be a good product. The thirteenth time, they start to feel that the product has value. The fourteenth time, they start to feel like they've wanted this product for a long time. The fifteenth time, they start to yearn for it because they can't afford it. The 16th time, they start to accept the fact that they will buy it at some time in the future. The 17th time, they make a commitment to buy the product. The 18th time, they curse their poverty because they can't buy this terrific product. The 19th time, they count their money very carefully. And the 20th time, prospects see the ad and they buy what the ad is offering. Now consider this, Mr. Smith, who penned this insight, penned it back in 1885. Didn't that sound like that was from 2021? That was back in 1885. It was literally like 136 years ago. And at that time, advertising was still in its infancy. But savvy marketers like Smith quickly figured out that more frequency equals more effective. Now, I can't say confidently that Mr. Smith consulted with the writer of 1 John. But if we are going to embody a new way of community, a new way of, of existing together as the family of God, we must continue to testify of these things. We must continue to talk about the rhythms and the ways of Jesus. Because I would imagine that the first time someone hears Black Lives Matter, they don't see it. The second time, they don't notice it. The third time, they're aware that it's there. The fourth time, they have this fleeting sense that they've heard it before. The fifth time, they actually hear it. The sixth time, they don't like or care about it. The seventh time, they get a little irritated with it. The eighth time, they think, here's that annoying person again saying the same thing over and over and over again. The ninth time, they wonder if it really means something. 
The 10th time they ask their friends or neighbors if they believe it. The 11th time they wonder about the lived experience of the people that are talking about it. The 12th time they start to think that it must be good and true. The 13th time they start to feel that maybe black people do have value. The 14th time they start to feel like maybe they can't explain it, but they've wanted black lives to matter a long time. The 15th time, maybe they start to yearn for diversity and inclusion, but also consider the cost of what it means to obtain it. The 16th time, they accept the fact that they will do something about it sometime in the future. The 17th time, they make a commitment to participate in the work required. The 18th time, they curse the state of the world and the systems of white supremacy because it makes it so difficult to see justice and equality. The 19th time, they count the cost very carefully. And the 20th time, they take their hands out of their pockets. They move from where they are to where they feel they should be. They get their hands dirty, so to speak. And they begin to engage and to participate and to show up. And although they may get it wrong from time to time, and although they may not see eye to eye all the time, they show up and they love and they protect and they believe. And that is the testimony of Jesus. That is the life that will live forever. That love, that is eternal. My intention is not to present some type of formula for diversity and inclusion, but to simply present a figurative example that I hope helps us remember that repetition, in repetition, we are formed together. And the same is true for indigenous people. The same is true for native people. The same is true for Asian people. The same is true for multiracial people. The same is true for Latina, Latino people. And the same is true for women and all of us that exist in the margins. Once again, I would invite you to ask yourself, what testimony am I listening to? What testimony do I embody in the world? And what testimony am I participating in? I've been reading this book for a long time. I haven't finished it yet. I don't know if you have books like me that you're reading like five at a time and it takes you forever to get through one. Okay, so Dare to Lead by Brene Brown is one of those books for me. And she inserts a letter by Colonel Dee Dee Hathill, who is currently the Director of Innovation, Analysis, and Leadership Development for Air Force Global Strike Command, which comprises of 33,000 officers and enlisted and civilian airmen. Colonel D.D. Hathill pens these words in the book, and she says this. The words we use matter. But words like loneliness, empathy, compassion are not often words discussed in our leadership training, nor are they included in our leadership literature. The Air Force's most current manual on leadership was written in 2011. And in the document, it explains that our Air Force's current core values are an evolution of seven leadership traits identified in the Air Force's very first manual on leadership, which was written in 1948. And in this 1948 manuscript, one of the seven traits, get this, was humanness. 
Yes, that is a real word, humanness. She says her first reaction was, huh, what is humanness? Intrigued and curious, I set out to find the 1948 document. But interestingly, it took me a few hours to find the 1948 manual because it was not located in any of the leadership files. It was actually buried in the historical documents of the Air Force Chaplain Corps. And as I was reading the document, I was struck by how much emotion I was feeling from the words on the page. So I started to pay more attention. The pages were full of words and phrases like, to belong, a sense of belonging, feeling, fear, compassion, confidence, kindness, friendliness, and mercy. What I noticed from reading this small excerpt from the book and even reflecting on the different interactions that I've had with people over the last couple of weeks is that I see that we have this deep desire to be seen and to be known, to be loved and to be believed, to be heard and to be understood. And when we stop loving, believing, hearing, understanding, we stop seeing the humanness and diversity. The invitation in 1 John is that we would see and know each other the way that Jesus sees and knows us. That even if we have to be the first ones to do it, we'll show up and receive the invitation. For a witness is not a witness because he or she is first, second, third, fourth, or fifth. She is a witness because she does, because she lives, because she testifies. A witness is not a witness because it's easy. A witness is a witness because they testify in word, in body, and in deed. This other book that I'm still in the middle of reading uh, the, it's called The Prophetic Imagination by Walter Brugman. And he writes this, While the prophets are in a way future tellers, they are concerned with the future as it impinges upon the present. The task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. So in this moment, I would invite you to move with me in this practice that we can do together. Prophetically imagine with Jesus a new social reality. As the band comes up, would you close your eyes with me in this moment? Just take a deep breath. And listen to what Jesus is speaking to your heart tonight.
With your eyes still closed, I would invite you to imagine a world where oppression doesn't exist. Not because we shy away from topics like critical race theory, or not because racism hasn't existed before, but because we have been fully restored. Imagine that. Imagine that we are all equal. That we all have dignity. That we are all cared for. That we are all seen as valuable. What would it look like for you to be fully loved by Jesus? To be fully restored. From that place of restoration, from that place of overflow, would you imagine extending love, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, compassion? friendliness and belonging to those around you. How would you with Jesus foster a place of belonging with those around you. preached a message at Neighborhood Ministries and he pointed out that the only role of a son or daughter is to be loved. And it is from that place of love that we love others. Just let the Spirit of God minister to your heart. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.